Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The Bible reading today is taken from Ruth 4 and it can be found in the Church Bibles on page 269. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman, Redeemer, he had mentioned, came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman, Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi... And from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you, by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amanadab, Amanadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, 
Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Well, good morning. Do please sit down. And um, if you'd like to turn back to Ruth chapter four in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at this wonderful chapter of God's word together. Um, As you turn back there, let me pray for the Lord's help as we come to look at this together. Our Lord God, we thank you so much for this wonderful tale of your faithfulness in our world to this one family. And we pray that as we come to look at it now, you might show us wonderful things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happening to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he'd not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. Now, I guess most of us love a happy ending, don't we? I certainly love a story with a happy ending. And um, I don't know if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, either the books or the films, um, but it's a story driven forward by our longing for good to overcome evil, for light to shine in the darkness, and for, well, in Sam's words, for everything sad to come untrue. I mean, without those things, it's just a story about a group of short guys with hairy feet who go for a long walk, isn't it? We long for a happy ending to a story. Whatever the genre is, we want to see the bad guy caught, the hero triumphant, the lovers united. But of course, um, we don't always trust happy endings, do we? Uh, We live in the real world And it's a world where quite often stories don't have a resolution. Uh, I think of a friend uh, struggling with a genetic condition he's had his whole life. And there's no obvious end to the story in sight. No happy ending. Uh, And um, not only is there a lack of resolution, but often in real life we know that stories end in sadness and in tragedy. And maybe you're here this morning and that's your story ending in grief and in emptiness. Uh, We're looking at Ruth 4 this morning. It's a true story, a historical narrative, uh, but we're going to see in this chapter that it is a story with a happy ending. Uh, Naomi and her family had um, left the land of God's promise. Uh, They'd walked away from God, really, and disaster struck If you were here with us for Ruth 1, we saw that Naomi's husband and her two sons died and that she came home to Israel, to the town of Bethlehem, with with nothing, just her and her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. Uh, She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And we've been seeing in the book of Ruth that it's really the story of how God brought Naomi back to himself and filled her emptiness, how he turned her sorrow into joy. 
But we've been seeing as well that the story of Ruth and Naomi in this book is more than just the story of one family. It's a picture of what God was doing for the nation of Israel at that time. And more than that, the story of Ruth and Naomi is really the story of our world. Because, of course, it's true that all of us in different ways have walked away from the Lord our God. And so all of us live in a world that is marked by the shadow of suffering and death and grief and loss. And so the story of God bringing back this family and of filling their emptiness, well, it's the story of our world. It's our story if we're Christians here today. And so what we're going to ask as we see the resolution of the story in Ruth 4 this morning is what does God do to bring about a happy ending for Ruth and for Naomi to the story? But as we ask that, we're going to be asking, what has God done to bring about the happy ending for our world and for Christians? What has God done to make everything sad come untrue? The first thing we see in the story is the sacrifice of a redeemer, the sacrifice of a redeemer. Now, we've met the redeemer in Ruth 2 and 3. Um, just to catch you up, if you haven't been here with us, um, the Old Testament law specified that if a family fell into financial difficulty, it wasn't the obligation of the state to help them out. It was the obligation of their family. Uh, Leviticus 25 said that a member of the family was to pay the price to rescue them from debt. Um, More specifically, if a man died without an heir to inherit his land, the family would lose their connection to the place of God's promise. And so another relative, a brother-in-law or some other male relative, was to marry the widow and to provide a child in the name of the dead man. Uh, It's the biblical doctrine of redemption. It's paying a costly price to rescue that family. And in Ruth chapter 2, we've been introduced to the Redeemer. So um, chapter 2, verse 19, we're told the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi says, this man is our close relative, one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Here is a man who fits the bill. Uh, In Ruth 3, Ruth has gone to him in the middle of the night and proposed marriage to him. She said to him, well, you're the guy, redeem us. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 9. I am your servant Ruth, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. But we've also seen a problem in the story, haven't we? Because there's another relative, a closer relative, Chapter 3, verse 12, although it's true that I'm near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. And so as we get to um, chapter 4, we're wondering how this story is going to end happily. What is the Lord going to do? And we see the sacrifice of a redeemer. Verse 1, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. Um, uh, It would have been a large um, gate on the front of the um, the town, a place where business and legal transactions are conducted. Um, He sat there. Um, When the kinsman redeemer that he'd mentioned came along, Boaz said to him, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. 
They're, they're sat there, they're negotiating. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. See, here's Boaz doing things properly. He's in the sort of um, the equivalent of the magistrate's court or something like that. They're, they're striking a deal and he's saying, look, um, uh, tell me what you're going to do. Um, and um, and uh, if you're willing to pay the price, redeem the land, then go ahead. But otherwise, uh, otherwise I'm going to do it. And chapter 4, verse 4, the man said, I will redeem it. And this is a bombshell in the story. I mean, this is totally unexpected. He says, I will redeem it. You know, we've, we've been getting ready for Boaz to redeem Naomi and Ruth. The whole story, haven't we? From the moment he walked on stage in Ruth chapter 2, we've been thinking, ah, oh, this is the guy. This is the redeemer. And so as readers, when we hear these words, I will redeem it, we're, we're meant to be going, no, we want Boaz. We want Boaz to redeem her. We, we've, we've got to know Boaz. We've bonded with him. We know his name. We've grown to like Boaz. He's a godly man. He's the hero of the story. Surely this is a problem for the happy ending to our story. Because this man says, I will redeem it. And then Boaz explains the one key detail that he's left out. Verse 5, Boaz says, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Now, Boaz just sort of... Um, drops that one in at the end, doesn't he? You know, always read the terms and conditions. It's not just the land. You also have to marry Ruth. And um, the man totally changes his tune, doesn't he? Verse six, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, well, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, what's going on here? Why are we told about this transaction? Why, um, why the road bump in the story? I mean, partly it's great as a reader, isn't it? And we're left wondering who's going to do it. But, but more than that, it shows us quite how much of a sacrifice it was for Boaz to redeem Ruth. It shows us the cost. You see, here you have a man and he says, um, yeah, yeah, buying the field, that sounds like a good deal. Um, he, he's in it. For the deal, you, you buy the land, and, and sure, you, you do have to look after Naomi, but you know she's, um, she's getting on a bit, and life expectancy in ancient Israel isn't that great. So um, it, you know, it won't be too long before, well, bluntly, the field um, is available. And, and Naomi, well, she's too old to actually have a child, so um, there won't be anyone to inherit the land. You know, redeem it now, and... Um, own it later. It's an investment proposition for him. But with Ruth in the picture, 
It's a totally different story, isn't it? Uh, Not only is it another mouth to feed now, if she has a child, well, the child will inherit the land. The child will be regarded as part of Naomi and Elimelech's family. Uh, The land wouldn't belong to me. I'd be paying out all that to look after this family, to bring up a child, and actually the child wouldn't even be part of my family. Now, that's not a good deal, is it? And so the man says, "I, I can't do it. And here's the beautiful thing in the story. Even though it's expensive... Even though it costs a lot, even though it's an enormous sacrifice to redeem Ruth and Naomi, well, Boaz does it. Verse 7, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to another. Uh, This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. So here we are, you have a man who's not willing to pay the price, and he says, "Um, will you do it? And Boaz says, today, verse 9, you are my witnesses that I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that the name will not disappear from among his family or the town records. Today, you are my witnesses. Here is, um, here is Ruth, who has nothing to offer Boaz, In terms of finance, in terms of reputation, Boaz has nothing to gain by marrying Ruth. And there he stands and says, I'm going to do it anyway. It's a sacrifice. It's a great cost. And um, uh, just notice the way that um, verses 9 and 10 begin and end. Today, you are my witnesses, twice. Now, I don't know how you would have written the end of the Ruth and Boaz storyline in this book. You know, in the Hollywood version, their eyes meet in a private room. They finally have a moment alone together, and he says something like, you had me at, can I glean in your field, or whatever it is. It's the moment where they finally express their feelings to one another. But that's, that's not what happens in Ruth 4, is it? No, what happens in Ruth 4 is a public commitment. And of course, this is always part of why marriage is so significant in the Bible, because it's about more than just feelings. It's about a public promise to commit to a person. Uh, A couple don't say um, they'll be together until they both shall love, but as long as they both shall live. And here is Boaz. If, um, if he'd said to Naomi, in, uh, to Ruth in chapter 3, um, sure, I love you and I will do all that I can to help you, well, what would happen if he stopped feeling that way? There'd be no security whatsoever for Ruth and Naomi. And so here is Boaz publicly committing, promising, covenanting himself in front of anyone who will listen to redeem Ruth. See, it's costly and it's public. He makes a commitment that is a great sacrifice and it's one that others simply would not make. 
And so here is the first thing that the Lord does to bring about the happy ending to this story, the sacrifice of a redeemer. Uh, But then secondly, we see the Lord provides the sovereign gift of a child. Have a look at verse 11 with me. Uh, Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, um, one of the things I'm discovering as a southerner moving up to Yorkshire is there's a certain um, bluntness um, to the people of Yorkshire. They, they tell you what they feel, don't they? They tell you what they think about things uh, in no uncertain terms. And um, there's a sense of that in this prayer here. It's a very appropriate prayer of blessing, but, um, but it's, it's pretty blunt, actually. Rachel and Leah, um, I, I mean, they're quite a messy family, if you read Genesis 29 and 30. They're two sisters who basically um, loathe one another, and Rachel is barren for much of her life. And, um, and yet, despite the mess, the Lord blesses them. He keeps his promise to Israel by giving them children and blessing the land through them. And um, if, uh, if you thought Rachel and Leah were a messy family, um, Tamar and Judah in Genesis 38 um, probably would be too dodgy to even be on EastEnders. You know, you can go home and read about that if you want to, but, um, but it's definitely a gritty story. I mean, one of the things I found when I first started reading the Bible for myself is I couldn't believe how real it was. Real people, mess, mistakes, sin. These people haven't been sanitized for us. It's real history. But, um, but here again, they're praying that the Lord would do what he did through Tamar and Judah, which again was to take a messy family and use them to bless the people of Israel and to keep his promises. Do you see the bluntness of this prayer? Look, um, Boaz, your family's a mess. You're marrying a Moabite peasant. But through that, we're praying that the Lord would bless Israel. And um, have a look at verse 13 for God's sovereign kindness his kind rule of the world. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. (laughs) So here's the thing, in the book of Ruth, only twice are we directly told that the Lord is doing something, once in chapter one and once here. There's lots of um, hints and nods and winks to show us that God is in control of history by his hidden hand. But the, the storyteller wants us here to be in no doubt that this child is a gift of God's promise. His loving rule of the world. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she had a child. And the conclusion to the story is just packed full of surprises. Um, the first surprise, right, Ruth has a baby, and who do they throw the baby shower for? Verse 14, the women said to Naomi. Naomi was the focus of the story in Ruth chapter 1. It was Naomi who walked away from the Lord and whose life became empty and desperate. And the story of Ruth has really been um, God filling Naomi with good thing after good thing through the kindness 
of um, Ruth and Boaz. And here again, the surprise is Naomi comes into focus. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. Uh, The surprise of the book that constantly God has shown his kindness through the faithfulness of Ruth. So um, back in chapter one, when Naomi said, the Lord has left me empty, Ruth was standing at her side, almost invisible to her. And there's almost something of a rebuke in verse 15. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. See, here's another shock. The climax of the story is the birth of a son. Uh, And um, in this prayer of thanks, the women are saying, don't forget Ruth, who's better than seven of them. God's shown his kindness through someone who is practically invisible to Naomi. I wonder if you find this in life. So often, then, God's providential keeping of his promises comes through things we wouldn't have even thought about, people we wouldn't even notice. And here God has been at work by his hidden hand, keeping his promises to Naomi. But the biggest shock of all, um, the shock at the end of the book of Ruth, the surprise is that this child who's sat there in verse 16 in Naomi's lap being cared for her, this child who, is, uh, who changes everything for Naomi is not actually the big point of the story at all. Verse 17, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this is the big surprise. This is the thing we mustn't miss in the story of Ruth. It's not just the story of God's faithfulness to one family. It is that. We see God bring Naomi home and fill her with blessing, But it's far more than that, because through the messy story of one family, God is keeping a promise to a nation. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And in case we miss the significance, the book ends with a genealogy of David, taking us all the way from Perez through Obed to this king that God had promised we need to realize that the story of Ruth is about more than just the fact that Naomi walked away from the Lord and the fact that God didn't forget her and the fact that God brought her home. It's it's about how a nation had turned away from the Lord, but God had not forgotten them. Remember in Ruth um, chapter one, verse one, we're told it was the days when the judges ruled and here the book ends with one word, David, the king who will rescue his people, the king who will save them from their enemies and from their own rebellion against God and bring them into God's blessing once again. But of course, living when we do, um, this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we know that David is not even the big point of this story. Because in um, chapter one of his gospel, Matthew gives us the genealogy of another baby who was born by God's providential rule of the world. Um, One whose ancestors included Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David. One whose name was Jesus, who was called the Christ. 
You see, in all the mess of our world, in all of the struggles of individual families, God was keeping his promise to have a child who would be the king and rescuer that we need. You know, in Luke chapter two, there's an old man, Simeon, and he sat in the temple with a baby in his arms, just like Naomi at the end of the story. And he praises the Lord and he says, now your servant can depart in peace because I have seen the salvation of the Lord. Because this king that God promised, this king that God kept his promise by by, um, producing through all of the mess of human history, well, he would be a redeemer that we need. Boaz in this story, he's just a shadow of the great cost, the great sacrifice that would need to be made so that not just one family could know a happy ending, but so that everything sad could come untrue. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ who had nothing to gain by redeeming us. We came to him as outsiders like Ruth. No place in the people of God because of the way that we'd walked away. We came to him with nothing good to offer him but the weight of our guilt, the the great debt. And... uh, And Peter, the apostle, one of Jesus' closest followers, says it was not with silver or gold that we were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. So many things in our world that offer life and blessing, but what cost are they willing to pay for us? Uh, So many... um, religious leaders or spiritual gurus who will tell us all sorts of things about how to live, but what cost will they pay for us? What sacrifice will they lay down? Um, We're told to live for material things, uh, to live for our careers or, or even for our families, but what sacrifice can they make for us? And here is a redeemer. We came to him with nothing And he gave his own life in a public commitment to us. He promised he would do it. He laid down his life and was raised from the dead in public so that we might know that we have a redeemer that we can trust. Now look, it might be that you're here this morning and um, you just feel like an outsider among Christian people. You know, um, I don't come from a a Christian family and I remember when I was first, um, when I first encountered the gospel and I just, one of the things that I thought was, can I really, I mean, can I really fit in church? I mean, it just seems like another world, doesn't it? Do Do I really belong here? You see, Ruth was an outsider and the Redeemer paid a great price to bring her in to God's family. It might be that you just think, not with the things that I've done. There's no way that living the life that I've lived, I could ever be welcome in the church among God's people. But the Redeemer has made a great sacrifice to bring you in. We don't come with anything in our hand. He pays the price, not us. But look, it might be that you're here this morning, and actually as you read Ruth 4, Um, you find it very hard to celebrate with Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and you've longed for a child in your lap for many years. Uh, Maybe you've longed to be married and, um, and that's never happened for you. 
Well, look, all of us, whatever our circumstances, whatever life looks like at the moment, even if it feels like the bottom has fallen out of our world, we can rejoice um, in, the birth, in the birth of this child, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he shows us that even in the messiest of situations, God keeps his promise to his people. But more than that, by redeeming us, this child, he gives us a new name and a new family, as he did for Ruth and Naomi. He gives us a family with God as our father and countless millions of brothers and sisters around the world and here in Forward as well. And on the day that he returns, this redeemer will make everything sad come untrue. One of the New Testament writers can say that these light and momentary troubles that we face in this life do not compare to the weight of glory to be revealed in us. And on that day, he will make everything sad come untrue. You see, the happy ending to Ruth and Naomi's story is a joyful thing. I hope you've enjoyed the book of Ruth. I've loved chapter four, but it's more than just a joyful story for one family because it points forward to the fact that God is going to make everything sad come untrue through the sacrifice of a redeemer and the sovereign gift of a child, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, in the mess and in the pain of life, will you trust the God who's done that? and who will do that. I'm going to pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your loving rule over the world that you have kept and are keeping every one of your promises to us in Christ. And as we come this morning to take bread and wine together, we pray that you would remind us again of quite how great the cost of sacrifice was for our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we came to with nothing to bring us home. For in his name we pray it. Amen.